during the protection courses at Michael Ellis's School for Dog Trainers in California, Michael gives a lecture on the drives and forms of aggression. This is part four of that lecture. Um, we talked a little bit about threat displays. That's a lot of the stuff we see in defensive uh, aggression. So the physical signs of, of uh, defensive aggression and threat displays in dogs and classic ones are baring their teeth, uh, piloerection, hair standing up, uh, flattening of ears, dogs standing really upright to, in an attempt to look bigger, uh, a lot of those sorts of things. Growling can be a threat display. We discussed about some, like making sure you're reading the whole dog because growling for some dogs is just uh, a thing they do when they're excited. Right? So some dogs growl in play and some dogs growl when they get stimulated and other dogs growl as a threat display when they're insecure and they want to threaten to try to drive something away. So growling when you're feeling nervous is an attempt on the dog's part to scare their adversary in some fashion. And then in, in circles, uh, uh, social circles, dogs growl as warnings. You know, tell you, hey, I'm feeling stressed by what you're going to do. Don't take my stuff. Don't make me do this, uh, or whatever else it is. So it can be a warning as well. So growling comes from a variety of places, but one of the possible things that is is a threat display on the dog's part. Um, and barking styles, like so, the 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 threat. Uh, driven a threat display dog tends to bark in a kind of choppy staccato way so when we listen to dogs bark and again when we make generalizations about barks uh, we can get ourselves in trouble but there are some guidelines that we should go by so a dog that's going in a kind of rhythmic uh, way and their body language is all up and forward we tend to call that a prey bark or the dog's barking to get something it wants it's excited it's stimulated and it's barking there and a dog that barks like, wah, 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 that's a warning, alarm, kind of nervous kind of bark, right? And we can talk about that. Dogs that bark with a lot of like rasp and aggression and showing their teeth tend to be angry. And the anger can be coming from defensive aggression, it can be coming from frustration, it can be coming from all those places, but they tend to be. Not an absolute, right? So I told you about my dog that barks at a tennis ball or a piece of popcorn that way, right? That's just the way he barked. And that's going to happen for some dogs. And for other dogs, it is a clue to what's going on. So we use all these things, again, like all the things we talked about all week, as guidelines to steer us one way. So when we see something like that, like any one of these threat display signs, we should say, warning flag, let's watch this dog's behavior. Is it because the dog's threatening? Is it because he's insecure? Where is it coming from? And we should take the whole dog into consideration. Like piloerection, 99% of the time, that dog is nervous and uncomfortable and he's threat displaying. There are dogs that piloerect when they're not threat displaying, when they get excited. I had a friend whose dog, every time he played ball with the dog, all the hair would stand up down the dog's whole back. He'd see a tennis ball and he'd be all, and it was some kind of arousal response in that specific dog. Yeah? And it had nothing to do. I knew another, dog who, uh, another guy whose dog's tail puffed up every time he fed it. So when the food, he'd hear the food bowl going, like all the hair at the base of the tail and down his tail would stand up. So classic stimulus. It's a stimulation response in the dog. But it's almost always a threat display and a sign that the dog's nervous. But there are going to be exceptions to that as well, so we need to be aware of that. If everything else about the dog says the dog's fine, then we say, okay, then this, and this, this is one of those unusual cases where this dog piloracts some, but isn't worried. Uh, but that's unusual. So the guidelines are helpful in that way. Um, we talked a lot about thresholds. And thresholds are uh, our way of describing 
how easy it is to stimulate a dog in a certain aspect of their personality. So we can talk about threshold for defensive stimulation. We can talk about threshold for environmental stimulation. We can talk about threshold for prey stimulation. So basically what we're doing is describing some aspect of the dog's personality and how easy or difficult it is to stimulate the dog in that aspect of their personality. So a high threshold dog for, for defensive stimulation would be very hard to stimulate and defend. It would be very difficult to make that dog see threat. A low threshold dog for defensive stimulation would be a dog that's very easy to make see defensive threat. So one dog I might have to scream and yell and hit him with a stick, and the other dog I might just have to look at him sideways, just stare at him a little bit. So the low threshold dog activates really easy, the high threshold. And the strength of the response the dog offers has nothing to do with the thresholds. So I can have a very low threshold dog with a very strong defensive response, or I can have a very low threshold dog with a very weak defensive response. I can have a very high threshold dog that when you finally stimulate him in defense, his response is very weak, or I can have a very high threshold dog when you finally stimulate him in defense, his response is very strong. They don't say anything about each other, so you don't know how strong that response is going to be. And the same thing with prey stimulation. We say this dog is really low threshold for prey stimulation. Anything that moves, the dog goes, what's that? And wants to chase it, right? But that strength of that response, how, how powerful and how durable that response is, is not a function of the, of the threshold. Meaning that dog may be really easy to stimulate and prey, but if he doesn't catch the thing, in five seconds he quits chasing it. And you get some other dog that's very hard to stimulate and prey. He needs a lot of movement before you activate the prey, but when he decides to chase it, he won't quit for anything. He's going to keep chasing it until he catches it. Right? So those two, the strength of those responses are not necessarily tied to the thresholds. But we use thresholds a lot to describe what's going on in dogs. And as a general rule, those things go together in packages. So if I say I have a high threshold dog in defensive stimulation, he tends to be high threshold about other things as well. Because that tends to go with a certain package. He's a confident dog that doesn't perceive threat easily. So he probably usually doesn't also show uh, a lot of environmental sensitivity either though there are exceptions to all of this. There will be dogs that are strong in one aspect of the personality and weak in another, but those tend to be packages, and a high threshold-ish kind of dog and a low threshold-ish kind of dog. Right? And we use this to kind of make training plans for the dogs a lot. Right? Back pressure. Uh, basically, back pressure is just a tool we use in bite work to, to make dogs have to clamp down. So by when the dog is biting, pulling on the line, either on a harness or a collar, against the dog, while they're biting makes them feel like they're being pulled off the bite and they have to clamp down to hold on. And we use back pressure extensively during uh, bite development stages to set dogs' grips to make them have to feel like they have to clamp down, make them bite down harder, all that sort of thing. Right? It's just a form of supporting the dog and using opposition reflex to make them want to bite down more. Uh, we talked about stressors uh, in terms of the bite work uh, and we broke them down into three categories. We have environmental stressors, we have physical stressors, and we have personal pressure stressors. stressors. Environmental stressors would be an, anything new in the environment, anything I pick up that makes noise, strange things, new places, slippery floors, dark rooms, you know, plastic jugs with rocks, tarps, whatever else. Um, physical stressors are actually hitting the dog, putting your hands on the dog, some physical pressure. I whack the dog with a stick, I smack him with my hands, I kick him while he's biting, whatever. Physical, direct physical stressors that can potentially inflict pain. Potentially they're just rough and an attempt to intimidate. Um, and then there are personal pressure stressors where it's actually about me 
the bad guy or the decoy or the helper putting his personal energy into the dog, right? staring at the dog, threatening with his body language, making it personal, leaning over like I'm going to grab at them, things like that, Put it, directing my personal pressure onto the dog. And all these tools get used uh, to uh, test dogs and to strengthen their responses and protection. Primarily as training helpers and as, as decoys, our job is to desensitize dogs to these things, to make the dog stronger in the face of these things. So we introduce them in a very incremental and thoughtful way. Yeah.